Welcome back, uh, Dr. Howard Tennant, to the podium to entertain your questions. I passed out uh, some documents uh, on his behalf. It's, I think it's the summary of the uh, Commission's report. So if you'd like to ask questions, the mic is over to my right. Uh, please state your name, make your questions uh, as brief as possible, and return to your seat so as we can entertain as many questions as possible. So let's uh, welcome again uh, Dr. Howard Tennant. One of the things I comment on is much of the water regulation and the loss of his actually started with a member of our community here. Uh, Bill Russell, years ago, is uh, a lawyer in town, developed a large part of his practice around the uh, uh, water law, and uh, much of his work has ended up as being enshrined in legislation. And when Bill went on and was chancellor of the university, some of the early work was done then to develop the Water Research Institute. So uh, a local person from the business community had a lot to do with Alberta's water legislation and and, uh, subsequent activity. My name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thanks for coming, Howard. That's uh, great to to hear that uh, you think there's something wrong with the way monitoring. I'm just wondering why have we heard for many years that the monitoring was being done and not maybe not world-class. They were not patting themselves with world-class, but they were saying that it's very adequate. And were they telling us less than the truth or didn't they know any better? Well, I, I think this, that uh, uh, I like to break things down like this into uh, systems of how we got to where we are. At its base, government is all about policy, and policy is followed. People who work for government follow process, and it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong, uh, uh, whether you get things done as much as, as you follow the process. And it's always bounded by the third part of the Iron Triangle, and is what budgets do you have to work with? Now, people like Joe and I come from a different tradition. We come from the academic world, where one of the things which starts off with is you start off is you're searching for excellence. And that's a different process than just having policy. So the search for excellence never really ends. A second part about the academic and the research world is that the collegial network is your friend and your enemy, the peer review system where papers are circulated and you can be criticized by your peers to make sure that there isn't anything which, which is out there so is, uh, that doesn't need correcting. And one of the things which happens in the research game, there's never enough money. But the issue of is, is two different systems, and what we're trying to do is to get a bit of a flavor in to a government department that was policy and process driven. Let me be specific with uh, uh, one issue that happened, and this is well documented elsewhere, but it's worth reviewing. Dr. David Schindler uh, was suspicious of some of the things which were going around in the lower Athabasca. And he said it couldn't possibly be the explanation which was coming from Alberta environment that some of the background things which were in the Athabasca River was just because the river was washing through the bitumen and naturally this was natural, always there background. Well, he's pretty clever, Savizwit. He went out two winters in a row and took snow samples in a huge surrounding area and then took the snow samples back to the lab, melted them, and said, aha, this looks like uh, bitumen, and how come it got into the snow? 
And so the interesting thing was uh, Dr. Schindler was challenged and told that he was wrong. The Premier intervened. The argument was hot and heavy at Cabinet, as was reported. The Premier intervened, and the Premier said, enough of this nonsense. We'll uh, put an international panel to look at it and say whether Alberta environment is right or whether Dr. Schindler is right. I can tell you that what came back was hands down, Schindler was right, the department was wrong. And so the issue is, uh, we get into a process then of how do you correct something where uh, wrong assumptions have been made by people of good intention, but wrong things were happening. How do you correct them? And part of the things is, is why we decided that it had to be a commission to be able to bring independence into this thing so that you didn't get sucked into that process. And so this was part of the embarrassments of, this, of how we got into this. I think a good thing came out of it, but the issues of this was very much of people in a he-said-she-said said argument that was going nowhere. And that's why our job was to set up something that could work. Good afternoon. My name is Joseph Natuk. Uh, a very interesting presentation. I'm a former employee of the Saskatchewan government and environment, Ministry of Environment. So I, I have a pretty good understanding of what you're saying here. Uh, one of the things that, that bothers me a little bit is the fact that, uh, and I can see why uh, this happens, at least in my mind, is the fact that you don't uh, go beyond the borders of Alberta. And when you're monitoring, I think this is very, very, it's a, it's a major, I was looking at the recommendations, I didn't see a recommendation from your commission suggesting that perhaps maybe you should extend a little bit beyond the borders because, as you know, Saskatchewan is within, the, well, I mean, the oil sands are in Saskatchewan as well, but you have a lot of, you know, prevailing winds blowing and, and all this sort of stuff. So this, to me, is, is a very, uh, is a great omission in my, in my personal opinion because I think you have to go beyond the borders of Alberta, uh, and I know it's hard for Alberta to to pay for something like this, but I think if you were to have even an advisory committee, which I don't think you have, that includes provincial governments and and outside of uh, Alberta to to, uh, to to work on that committee. Uh, so, uh, can you just give me an observation because I think that's a that's that's a, that's a significant oversight. I would agree with your comments, is that our mandate was to report to the government of Alberta about the government of Alberta. Uh, we chose not to get into a whole series of things because we didn't want to do so anything that was going to uh, foul up the politics of something happening. What we did have is Dr. Howard Wheatier from the University of Saskatchewan was a member of our panel. He's a distinguished scientist, environmental scientist, and they're in the process of setting up so is, in Saskatchewan uh, better regulatory things, science-driven, uh, for their water, air, land, and biodiversity. Uh, there, Saviz, in the process, and certainly, Saviz, the linkages are there scientist to scientist. The fellows here, Saviz, at the uh, Water and Environment Science know all of the guys at the gals at the University of Saskatchewan. So the linkages are there. Uh, it's, it's not uh, there. Certainly, there's every aspect of this uh, that uh, call for uh, trans-border cooperation. Joe, did you want No, we, we don't deal explicitly with the trans-border issue, but we deal implicitly with it through the recommendations that we made in, in great detail about how we felt that the provincial government and the federal government should 
work together on this. And so we were very careful in outlining um, where, what the areas of jurisdiction of both were and this whole issue of inter-provincial inter cross-border transport gets right into the federal area. And if we don't, and, and we, we, we were very clear to point out that if this federal-provincial aspect of this didn't work to get well, that whole area would be neglected. And, of course, this applies even more so to the downstream community in the Northwest Territories. And uh, th this is a big part of what we spent quite a bit of time working on, although we don't explicitly talk about things outside of Alberta because our report is framed for the minister. My name is Tom Kane, and I'd like to ask you, Howard, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you for getting the, such a tough study done. Even the, it wasn't totally a study, but you looked over all, so much information and got it done on time. That's a, impressive and um, delighted that you held up the principles. If we could have the principles you've recommended in here as the way the government of Alberta operates, I'd be delighted. Uh, the credibility principle, I'm cautiously optimistic that all of your recommendations are going to get somewhere, but one of the things that concerns me, and then I'll get to my question, the concern is that in northern Alberta they're fast-tracking the uh, coal plant and it's very clear that they're fast-tracking it so that they get ahead of the new regulations that may be coming in. That doesn't give them credibility. You have my credibility, but fast-tracking that coal plant is going to drive David Suzuki nuts. The other thing that, the other thing that should be fast-tracked, and I, this is my question to you, uh, I'm really pleased that you were in, connected with this with your long-standing understanding of Aboriginal people and you did a great job in the north. Here in the south, there's an urgent issue we're facing with fracking on the blood reserve. The National Energy Re um, uh, Conservation Board, the Alberta, what is that? Energy ERCB isn't doing their job. Alberta, the uh, Canada India, uh, Indian Act isn't doing their job, so there's a credibility gap. Uh, as co-chair of the panel, and as an honorary chieftain of the Blood Nation, would you be willing to add an amendment to your recommendation 20, which is phased implementation? I'd like to suggest that you stress the need for a moratorium on fracking on the blood reserve until an adequate study of fracking chemicals is done immediately in consultation with the people on the blood reserve, which I understand the chief has not done. So there's an urgency on the blood reserve. Would you amend Recommendation 20 to say we can't wait to try and study that. We've got to do it now. And um, would you be in favor of doing something on that? Well, the concrete has sets of this on these set of recommendations. And so the notions of this, the report is what it is. Now, the issues of this, of, of fracking, of this, uh, is a long and complicated one, and I don't have the engineering competence to speak to it. But I would say, of this, that uh, from my readings, Fracking's been going on in Alberta for over 40 years. Uh, it's, it's one of the fundamental ways that we've extracted our, our uh, uh, natural so this gas and also so this, uh, our, our, uh, nat our conventional oil deposits. So it's been going on for, for some time. It's a complicated thing, so this, and you also so this mentioned so this, the issues so this, of uh, uh, the, the coal plant going ahead and the inherent carbon dioxide issue. 
Well, those are two issues that need some taking a look at it, and it needs to be a science engineering look at to come up with what, what is going on. Uh, that's not with, uh, uh, within our group. It might well be that the Commission has to immediately establish that. But there are some interesting things. You hear an awful lot about sequestering carbon dioxide into the earth and injecting it down four or 5,000 feet into the earth and hoping that sedimentary rock would absorb it. Well, one of the problems is it may not work. And here's the reason. Can you imagine the horsepower that's required to compress the carbon dioxide and drive it down four or 5,000 feet and hold it there? It may be in excess of 50% of the energy that the coal-fired plant produces. <coughs> this is a huge issue. People in engineering areas talk about the, these issues. So there's an awful lot of the solutions and so on just like we have a call here for science-based decision-making that in each one of those things that has to do. Final comment on your question, because your question is, is, is a huge one. It's not just the blood reserve. There is a formation called the Balkan uh, 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 d distribution, which cuts across the reserve and swings all across the Milk River Reserve and goes down through that area. This is remarkable land in, in, in the area. Now, that formation is, it's interesting enough that the government of Alberta doesn't own the oil uh, rights for that. Much of the rights uh, here is, were divided up before Alberta was a province, and land holdings before 1905, the landholders of those, of which there's many large tracts uh, south of McGrath and in uh, those areas, uh, those landowners have the mineral rights themselves. So it's, it's, a, it's a different process, but it's a formation that is being developed now with considerable because of the price of oil. Everybody's known it's been there for a long time, but it's the whole Balkan formation. It's not just the blood reserve. It's I a considerable portion of southern Alberta. Just a quick comment and then leave it to the next questioner. Um, New Brunswick was concerned about this just last weekend. The Council of Canadians is bringing forward with Maude Barlow some of the concerns about water across the country and fracking in, in specifically. Uh, New Brunswick had a big meeting in Moncton last weekend, and they have 28 local organizations now against fracking in New Brunswick. The province of Quebec is, you're right, it's not just the blood reserve. The province of Quebec has said no to fracking, and we would like to see a moratorium on it until it gets studied. I understand from scientists that, uh, although, yes, we've been doing fracking, they've changed the way they do fracking a lot in the last 10 years. So the first 30 was going straight down. Now it's going horizontally, and that's a yeah. much bigger problem with 200 chemicals they're putting down with the water. That's a lot more than just uh, birth control pills and, uh, and the other one that you mentioned. 200 chemicals going down underwater is not necessarily good for our water. No, I appreciate it, uh, but I, I think that the issues of is that our panel was uh, but one topic to get started. There are more that have to be done. Thank you very much, uh, Doctor. Uh, I have a, a little comment first. As an ex-miner, coal miner, I want to say that I still bear the daily headaches of my injury, that this fracking is totally destroying the future generations, any chance of recovery of coal. They're totally smashing the layers of rocks that hold up the, the, the coal seams, whatever, It'll never be recoverable again. They're doing trillions of dollars worth of damage to ever the future 
societies of children, next generation, to ever recover the last vestige of energy. It's going to be still cold. Okay, secondly, I wonder, is this the first trip that you people made to the tar sands area? Have you been there previously? I've been to Fort McMurray uh, several times. Uh, uh, Dr. Rasmussen, uh, in very capacity of many other committees, has been up there numerous times. Good, because I was just wondering how it impacted you to see the enormity of this, whatever you want to call it, okay? Because I, I sold some products to Syncrude and the other companies up there, and it scares you to wade in the mud this deep. But anyway, I have... Could you explain the, the jurisdiction of water controlled by federal government uh, and the provincial government uh, to, to, in, respect, in respect to the tar sands area? And secondly, one more little question. Can you tell me how we're going to ever change the political scene when we have an ex-oil uh, company, St. Crude, VIP sitting in the cabinet of the Alberta legislature, in the cabinet, and secondly, you have Article 605 of the NAFTA agreement that gives the United States equal rights, equitable rights to our resources, with ironclad agreement that there will be, never be any environmental changes by law, signed by Edmonton, Washington, and Ottawa, and Washington. How are we going to get it with any recommendation and the expertise you wonderful people give them? Thank you. Well, one of the, the problems is, is that, you know, it comes back to us as well. We don't have a harmonized sales tax here. We have, in our little community, a university, a college, high school systems, and everything else that was built by resources. And so as we sit back as part of this, our livelihood has been from resources. We don't manufacture. Uh, agriculture isn't in the world's best shape. Forestry is in tough shape, so is with it. We're not known so is, as innovators that uh, are developing products like Apple and a variety of others. We live off our resources, and part of the decision so is to live off resources is that we have to struggle with these problems continuously. Uh, Joseph, do you want to? Well, I'll say a little bit more about that. That is that, that the... The way in which government of Alberta is, is structured is essentially around generating revenue from industry through resources, and and that's how we have a very minimum tax burden, and that's something that all citizens uh, benefit from, as Howard mentioned. And uh, there are some prices to pay for that, and one of them is that that industry is in effect a co-government of Alberta whether we like it or not. Uh, the other point that I wanted to address a little bit has to do with the fact that there are two major pieces of water legislation that influence the way um, water is treated in Alberta. One of them is the Water Act, and the other is the Fisheries Act. And the Fisheries Act, and it may, it may sound like a bit of a contradiction that to treat uh, fish as though they are separate from water, but the, the two work together in a sort of a complementary way. And uh, if we, in southern Alberta, this whole issue was uh, brought up during the uh, Old Man Dam controversy and the court cases surrounding it, and 
it was made clear what the what the um, where the overlapping or, and separation of jurisdiction was on that point. And so uh, it, it may sound like a contradiction that we've got water and fish being dealt with separately, but it really isn't when you consider the fact that the rivers are an integrated system across the entire continent, whereas our province is only a, a small sector and concerned with, concerned with regional and local issues. Balbura from Lethbridge. Dr. Tannen, thank you very much for presenting uh, Southern Alberta and Alberta in this study. And uh, my question to you is, Alberta environment, actually not only environment, but Alberta government is very notorious in um, appointing panels and, and doing studies and, and creating reports. But what happens to those reports after I'm wondering what's going to happen to your report. Well, one of the things that uh, members of the panel, Joe and I, was with it is uh, we didn't quit June 30th. Uh, we uh, talked to all of the candidates for premier about the report. And uh, yesterday was in Calgary talking to another group about it. And we chat about it here, uh, about the actual importance of it. And so uh, other cabinet ministers have been briefed on it. And uh, depending on what happens between this fall, is with selection of a premier and new minister of environment, uh, the pressure is going to have to be continuously on to remind people so that it doesn't get buried. Uh, the, one of the things that the, our report ends on the note of saying, uh, now is the time for action and we cannot delay. And what our uh, thrust to the minister was, do something before the end of December. Uh, we'll keep working at it. However, I think we should be reasonable in expecting that until there is at least a new leader of the conservatives in, 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 in power and a new premier, that we cannot expect any definitive statements or, or progress on, on this thing since we do all know something about politics. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. Uh, thank you for your presentation. Uh, my question deals with birth control pills. I wondered whether you or your panel are aware of studies in other countries which come up with defects in fish as a result of birth control pills. Having spent almost my entire working life in the third world, including in, reproduction, including in development and, and, and reproductive health, my thoughts turn over there. And if we've got these problems over here, goodness knows what we've got over there. Thank you. There there are a number of uh, hello. Uh, there are a number of, of studies that I'm no expert in uh, in this area, but uh, there are a number of studies that have been referred to me about this. Probably one of the more interesting ones is out of Singapore. Singapore recycles all of its drinking water. Young men are growing breasts in Singapore, and so the issue is that uh, the manifestation of this is uh, watched in many areas. Right now, it's widely believed by those that are in it that the dilution is in drinking systems, since uh, we don't recycle civis water here, is minute. It's in parts per trillion, whatever. And that's not to be worried about. But it is to be monitored to know what's going on. Thank you. I'd like to say something, too, that uh, one of the uh, measurements that people often make with regard to water and water management is the number of bodies that a drop of water goes through from the time it lands on the 
on the landscape to the time it reaches the ocean. And in Canada, that's far less than one. However, if you go to Osaka in Japan and you spend a little bit of time there and you start to realize that it, it's, the number there is about seven or eight, every drop of water goes through seven or eight bodies before it reaches the ocean. And uh, all we can do is realize that, that as the population increases and the amount of water it stays the same, we have to be more and more vigilant about anything that that tends to accumulate in that water, and as you as you point out. Thank you. I have more comment than a question. Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Hi, Howard. Um, in regard to, again, what Trevor was talking about, the estrogen and also the antibiotics and antidepressants in water, I've spoken with Stuart Root at the university about this issue, and he says the only way to really get it out of the water is through a riparian environment. So the willows, the reeds, all these plants are actually specifically geared to take, uptaking this material and uh, cleaning it up and getting it out of the water. There's no doubt in the water literature that swamps are extremely important. Uh, and the issue is that seems across North America, we have every effort going everywhere to drain them. And the issue is that they're extremely important to this to do this. Uh, the issue is that, uh, uh, it's on it, is again, I keep coming back to it, is imagine if we had, by 2040, and this problem starts to emerge, and we can look back and we can say, so is, here's, you know, 29 years of data, and we can see increases and in where it comes from. I have one paper so that says that one of the things that drug enforcement is doing is uh, chasing cocaine through the sewage system. And sampling water can go virtually to within individual sectors of where people are consuming cocaine. So this has got all kinds of things in terms of trace elements of, of where things happen. Uh, that activity was a paper that is out of Barcelona, which talks about this uh, reversing uh, through water where things are coming from. So uh, this is new science that uh, needs new bright minds working on it. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned the importance of environmental monitoring, how important that was. You mentioned the importance of federal and provincial collaboration and cooperation. You also mentioned how difficult it is to put together expert scientific teams to address problems. And at the same time, we hear that the Harper government is cutting 776 positions from Environment Canada. Would you like to comment on that? The, the net impact of this on, on this is uh, your question's got two parts. Uh, one of the things is, how do you put things together? Well, you follow the networks that scientists who already know each other across the country, and you facilitate them getting together. Uh, we've done the same thing in Alberta. It's not just uh, the current government in Ottawa. Uh, there was great damage done at the time that the cuts were done in Alberta, and in many ways, that's how Alberta environment got into the, the shape that it's in now, was because of previous cuts. Joe, you went to... I don't really, I've not had a chance to look at the budget and see exactly where all the cuts were made, but I have worked a lot with Environment Canada during, in this whole process. And uh, one of the things that they assure me is that most of the cuts are being to programs that are being phased out, and that this area is a high priority 
program that's being phased in and will not be influenced by that. However, I cannot attest, I cannot do a critical evaluation of that statement because I haven't been able to look at the numbers, but but um, there is there are always programs starting and ending within these big uh, government agencies and the direction the director general wants to take it in is different than what it's been in the past and so there are going to be a lot of cuts but there are also a lot of new things happening so it's hard to say if, if really whether the cuts are going to have that big of an influence over the over how things get done here Uh, my name is Graham Greenlee. Uh, Dr. Tennant, you mentioned that uh, a monitoring system, it's very important for, for a monitoring system to uh, measure a change. In order to measure change, we need baseline data, right? Do we have adequate uh, baseline data or does this still have to be collected? The answer varies. Uh, in some water airsheds, for example, uh, where there has been science-guided measurement of what's going on, we do have some, some very good data that's, that goes back. One member of our panels, who was Dr. Ron Wallace, uh, is a fisheries biologist, was up in the river systems in the north and collected some of this data going back 40 years ago. That data is still available, so is, and so with the hunt, you can find individual pieces here and there. The secret's going to be, so is, knitting and using as much of that together getting it onto a readable database, but it's going to be a challenge. But it doesn't mean that there isn't good data which is out there. Thank you. Okay, we'd, we could probably entertain one more question if there was one. If not, I'll, I'll ask the question then. Uh, how do we, as citizens of Alberta and, and the country, uh, make sure this process goes forward? How do we hold, how do we make, we make sure that this commission is enacted and that the studies and the collection of data and the monitoring and everything like that happens? What I said in Calgary yesterday, so visit a similar group when the similar question came up, is individually write letters to the new premier and say that this is critically important. Do not use a petition. I remember, Savis, from John Gogo, Savis, from our community here, when he wrote once back and said, you have taken the care, Savis, and liberty of, uh, of writing to me, Savis, with one document. Uh, let me respond to you all with a letter. Uh, individual letters signed by individual people to the Premier endorsing, Savis, work that has to be done is, is an effective thing. And uh, certainly, Savis, there is a great deal of political acumen in this room that knows about uh, moving processes forward. Could I say something, too, that individual letters are amplified uh, in government minds by a big amplification factor. Letters signed by special interest groups are not. They are in, assumed to represent the entire body of interest. And so for that reason, individual letters going to the premier or to the minister are probably the most effective tool we have to uh, get things done. Well, thank you very much, uh, both of you, for, for appearing here today and answering our questions. Thank you.